0: Good morning. It is an honor to always be with you every Sunday, um, but quite an honor to be up here uh, today preaching God's word, uh, his living and true word. That's our foundation. Uh, About a month ago, Dennis had asked me to teach on the crossing of the Red Sea, and I was so pumped. Like the most epic story of the Old Testament, right? And then he texts me like two weeks ago and says, hey, we miscalculated Advent and thought it started on December 5th, but it's actually November 28th. Would you mind teaching on Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17? So if anyone can help him with the church calendar in the future, that'd be really great. Or you could Google it, I think. (laughs) Uh Happy birthday, Dennis. All right, Um, but so I flip, and it it was one of those questions that like you can't say no to, like how do you mess up Advent, right? Like I can't say no, I'm going to preach on Exodus 14. It was one of those questions I had to, it wasn't actually a question, it was a statement that you were making. Um, But, so I flip to Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, and it's the genealogy of Jesus, A list of names okay so I go from arguably the most epic story in the Old Testament to a list of names right like nothing against Jesus here right he's he's amazing and our Savior but like I wasn't super excited about it Um, but (laughs) with all of that being said I'm really grateful that I actually had to study this list of names because I was deeply moved by it, and I'm excited uh, to share how God has worked through this list of names. Uh, So let's take a look at our scripture this morning. I can't see the screens from back here, so I'm going to trust that it's it's up there. Also, I am not Jewish nor a Bible scholar, so if I mess up names, have grace. Um, All right, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zara whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nisan. Nisan the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the mother of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abiah, Abiah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerom, Jerom, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob. and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 to the exile from the exile to the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we just welcome your spirit in this place and just ask that you would cleanse my mouth, my mind, and my heart to use me as a tool to speak your truth and that whatever is of you, God, may it transform our hearts and our minds, and whatever is not from you, may it fall upon deaf ears. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's funny, I grew up in a home uh, where all good movies or books start with the opening line, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, okay? And the genealogy in Matthew 1 just isn't quite that, right? I mean, it's not, it's not going to be like the best way to open a bestseller. <laughs> um, and, but Matthew starts off the Gospel of Matthew, which ends up being the opening of the whole of the New Testament with a list of names. But it's through this list of names that we see incredible hope that's offered in the birth of Jesus. In fact, it is the ultimate story of hope. Uh, Like I said, I was really moved to tears at one point while studying this list of names. Uh, And hope is what is traditionally celebrated on the first Sunday of Advent. We reflect on the hope that he has come and that he will come again. And so why does Matthew start this genealogy with the genealogy in in the the book of Matthew? Uh, Well, some background information. The Gospel of Matthew is written to the Jewish people. That's Matthew's audience. He was uh, a tax collector (laughs) uh, before becoming a disciple, which maybe makes sense as to why such a dry opening to his Gospel. He's more like an accountant, right? Uh, No offense to the accountants in the room. (laughs) um but he was from the jewish tradition right and and so the gospel of matthew is written so that the jewish people would know that jesus is the fulfillment of the old testament prophecy and promises and so he starts off with the genealogy to prove just that in ancient culture family mattered your pedigree your lineage mattered. It proved who you were. Nobody wanted to be a mutt. Everybody wants to be a burnadoodle or something with a poodle. It just makes you sound a little fancier, right? Um, But your resume, or it's like a resume for your family. You left out things that made you look like a hot mess, but you put things in your resume that made you look pretty good, right? But the genealogy of Jesus, we see some surprising people. People that maybe should have been left out if he wanted to make a good impression. People that didn't point to greatness, but pointed to great sin. The list contains people that were heroic, but also had histories that were pretty horrific. But it's because of this genealogy that we can walk away with three things, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and promise, that God adopts us through grace in Jesus, and he offers hope for all people. So first, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and promise. When Matthew started with the genealogy of Jesus, he's saying, Jesus really happened. Here is his line, here is the proof, he's historical, right? He starts by saying in Matthew 1.1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. By him starting with saying Jesus is the son of David, he points to Jesus fulfilling 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, where God tells David, I'm going to build my kingdom through your line, but the king coming from your line will be my son, and I will be his father. By stating Jesus is from the line of Abraham, it points to the fulfillment of Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. For the Jewish people, the messiahship of Jesus depended on coming from the line of David. They clung to these prophecies for generations. That he would be the Messiah and come and fulfill all the longings of their heart. But he came in a much different way than they ever could have imagined. And I actually think it's true for us today, too. We walk with these longings in our heart, right? We watch these movies. We get lost in fictional books because we want to live in in restoration, right? We want to live in a magical land and have a hero who comes and saves the day. There's a deep ache within us, and we even talked about that last week as a church family. And while we long for being restored, Jesus does all of that. Tim Keller says, it looks like the Christmas story is another story pointing to these underlying realities, these realities and longings that we have, but Matthew says no. It won't begin as a make-believe story. This is the genealogy of Jesus, saying that Jesus is not one more story pointing to these underlying realities. Jesus is the reality to which all other stories point. So for Matthew to start here, he's proclaiming the legitimacy of Jesus, the fact that everything points to Jesus. Jesus is the OG, okay? And he was and he is and he is to come. Period, right. (laughs) He would go on to fulfill all of the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. The genealogy points to the fact that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, doesn't need you to do anything. Jesus, God was working from the beginning of time. The people that are listed in this genealogy, they didn't know that they would lead to the birth of Jesus. They had promises to hold on to, but they, they knew to be faithful in the moments that God called them to, but they didn't know what was to come. But through Jesus, God fulfills all of his promises. And Matthew proves this just by his introduction the son of David, the son of Abraham, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of those. And if God fulfilled those things through Jesus, then. He will do it now. He will fulfill his promises because he already has. So second, God adopts us through grace in Jesus. There are two accounts of the genealogy in the Gospels, one in Matthew chapter 1 and another in Luke chapter 3. And they differ from one another. And we're not going to spend time looking at how they differ. Uh, We don't have time for that. But one way they do differ is that Luke focuses on blood relation of Jesus. Matthew points to legal sonship. And this really stuck out to me because besides my two biological parents, I have two wonderful step-parents that have been in my life since I was two and seven. And I have five siblings because of that, none of which are biologically related to me. And yet, all of them are like family to me. I would consider them parents and brothers and sisters. And Joseph adopted Jesus. This is essential for us to understand because it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that God adopts us as well. And when adoption happens, there's no undoing. It's a legal binding, right? We can become sons and daughters adopted by Jesus. And while, while adoption doesn't undo the biological bloodline, it does rewrite the trajectory of the adoptee's story. I have two brothers that came to our family through adoption. And they will forever be written in the Fitchell family tree. There's no undoing of that. You come at me and my family, they're my brothers, right? (laughs) But the law also recognizes that they are a Fitchell right? So it it, it cannot break. And God promises us the same. No matter your bloodline or your DNA, you are part of the family of God when we respond to and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We enter a covenant with God. We become his family, and it's one he will never undo. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The genealogy of Jesus points to his messiahship, but it's also the precursor of our son and daughtership to to God. And it's through Jesus that we all can have a family. You can be orphaned by earthly terms. But you can be a son or a daughter because of Jesus. Which leads me to my last point, that Jesus offers hope for all people. As I stated in the beginning, there's some people listed in this genealogy that are pretty surprising. For example, by the fourth person listed in the genealogy we see the name Tamar. You might think, well why why does that stick out? Well, Tamar was a female. And females were not listed in genealogies. Women were rarely listed in them and they were actually seen as some of the lowest people in society. Some men Uh, in the Jewish tradition would pray to God, thanking him that they were not Gentile, slaves, or women. And because they were the lowest, that's why it's surprising to see them listed in the genealogy. And we see five women, not just one, five. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, and Mary. They were racial and cultural outsiders and their stories involve incest, prostitution, and uh, adultery. I don't know many people that would say, hey, yeah, I I want those types of people listed on my family resume. But Matthew doesn't skip over these women. He highlights them. There are several other men and kings he did skip over. But he makes sure to publicly proclaim these women, stating that they are in the lineage of Jesus and significant to his story. Because in the kingdom of God, the lowest of the low are loved and significant. And actually, they are used for his purpose and to build his kingdom and accomplish his plans. So we have Tamar. In Genesis 38, we learn the story of Tamar. She had married Judah's son, Ur, and he died. So she became a widow. And Old Testament law says that the father then has to give the widow to his next son. So she marries Onan. He dies. So now she's a widow twice, with lots of shame, and no resources, no children. And Judah doesn't have her marry his his third son, so she's left with no resources. She takes it upon herself to pretend to be a prostitute, and sleeps with Judah, and gets pregnant with twins. Then there's Rahab. We learn about her in the book of Joshua, or in in Old Testament book Joshua. And the Israelites are promised the land, right? They're finally going to walk into the promised land. Um, And they get scared, so they send spies, even though God had already promised the land and to hand over the people to them. So, they sent these spies, and the spies' lives become threatened. And so, they seek refuge in Rahab's house. And Rahab saves them, saves their lives. Yet, she's a prostitute. Ruth, a Gentile widow. Again, no resources and just following her mother-in-law wherever she goes, right? And then Uriah's wife, who's Bathsheba, who, when we look at 2 Samuel and begin to understand the dynamics of her relationship with King David, you could easily argue she did not give consent to David. But they have a child. And then there's Mary, a teenage girl who's pregnant out of wedlock. These stories are really complex and messy, <laughs> and again, probably stories that most people would want to hide or sweep under the rug because of how complicated they are. But Matthew shares them, and they point to the fact that God's mercy covers a multitude of sin, and that even our darkest sins cannot separate us from Jesus. And our shame can be wiped away and restored. You see, the redemption story was at work from the beginning of time. These women, they were gender outsiders, racial and cultural outsiders. Five of, or three of the five were Gentile. They were not Jewish. And moral outsiders. I might add many of the men also committed great moral sin in this list, right? I'm highlighting the women, but let's be clear, okay? (laughs) Through the listing of these outsiders, though, it states that Jesus identifies with sinners before he was even born. And he would continue to do so at his birth at his baptism, through his ministry, and his death on the cross. Matthew didn't expunge these women. He highlighted them, claiming them as family, not just an acquaintance, but as family. The Mosaic Law would have denied these people to be in the presence of God. And yet, Matthew says, hey, here's the family of Jesus. Jesus. He invites the prostitute, the lowest of the low, with the king. He invites the Jew with the Gentile, the wicked with the righteous. All are equals in his family. There's no ranking system. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of you. He claims you, just as he claimed Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary. And this grace starts in the genealogy of Jesus. A dry list of names. Tim Keller says, so even the begats of the Bible drip with God's mercy and grace. No matter your history, first and foremost, if you say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, God says, you're my child. And he will accomplish his great works to finish his story. So what do we do with this list of names? I want you for a second to, um, you can either close your eyes, we're kind of going to picture this event happening, okay? So imagine you're invited to a dinner party and the host is a benevolent king. You're honored to be invited and choose to go because you love this king and and you know the king loves you. He's shown you great kindness. You are one of the first to arrive and are anxiously anticipating other guests to walk in. The king greets you with a hug and a kiss and welcomes you. You're at ease in his presence. As you stand waiting for others to arrive, you can only imagine who will walk into the king's party. You think to yourselves how, how powerful and influential these people might be. People who accomplished great things for the king and you begin to feel a little out of place. But then you see the first guest walk in, a foreigner who is in a known sex scandal. The king greets the guest with a hug and a kiss, the same one that made you feel so welcome. You think to yourself, well, that's odd. Not exactly who I expected to be a guest at the party. Awaiting the next guest, you see the door open and an infamous murderer walks in. The king does the same, greets the guests the same way. Then a widow, an illegal immigrant, a prostitute, an adulterer, children and teenagers walk in. Guest after guest is shocking to you. You're overwhelmed. The king sees you and he walks over and says, this is my family. Would you like to have a seat at my table? And although a bit intimidated, and honestly, it's not because of their influence or power, but because of their history that they're bringing, you decide to sit down regardless. And the bread and the wine are passed around the table, and with laughter and thankfulness, everyone shares stories of how they came to know the king and became his family. And you think to yourself, maybe this could be my family too. Who are our outsiders today? We all have them, right? Whether or not we want to admit it, culture defines them, the church defines them, we ourselves define them. Maybe you feel like an outsider. But what Matthew points to in this genealogy is there are no outsiders in the family of God because of Jesus. So we have to stop defining who is in the family of God. Scripture is clear. Mark chapter 2:17, Jesus said to them, "It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." This was actually Jesus' response to the Pharisees who were questioning him because he was eating with Matthew the tax collector and other sinners. Matthew knew what it was like to feel like an outsider, yet he belonged in the kingdom of God. Galatians 3 23 through 29 says before the coming of this faith we were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that has come would be revealed so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we may be justified by faith now that this faith has come we are no longer under a guardian so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith for all of you were baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Did you hear that? There's no race. There's no level of earthly freedom. There's no gender, no culture, no political party in Jesus. And we can see that just by his genealogy. A list of names. It's good news for all of us. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and promises. And he will do the same today and to come. He's adopted us through the grace of Jesus by his death and resurrection. And we have to recognize and live out in our day to day lives that the same grace that poured down from Calvary for you is the same for all of the outsiders we think are around us. Because Jesus is the only hope for this world. Nothing else can define us as the family of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you for the truth that you share through your genealogy. Thank you that you used people, broken people, to point to you. So may you change our hearts as we leave here today. And may we walk knowing that we are in your family and invite others to be your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.